0: Well, first, I just want to say thanks to Paul for stepping in for Andrew, and so uh, we praise the Lord for that uh, just way of giving, giving to the Lord and encouraging us as a church as well, and uh, i grateful for you, Paul, and for everyone who, who's leading today in song, and uh, also, just another item that we really do need to pause and just praise the Lord for. If you've been watching the news at all this week, we... We saw that uh, Roe v. Wade was reversed, and we give praise to God for that. Uh, for, uh, for many of us, if you've been with us for a time at Clayton Valley Church, you know, each and every uh, year when it comes to uh, supporting Options Health, uh, the local ministry here, we're deeply involved with that. Um, we're grateful for the ways that we've been able to not only be part of fundraising for them, but we've had folks volunteer there over the years to help um, moms and dads who are uh, facing trials, perhaps, uh, you know, encountering a pregnancy that they had not planned on and wondering what to do. And Options Health is a beautiful ministry that, that not only uh, cares for babies and, and rescuing them, but also cares for the parents. And, uh, and we long to be a part of that. And as you know, with the decision, um, it puts everything back to the states in terms of, of making whatever is legal, legal in that area. And so in our state, let's face it, we still have a lot of work to do uh, in terms of caring for um, babies and and moms and dads and and being a part of what God's doing in that. So um, we're gonna continue standing with Options Health and we're gonna be a part of what God's doing with that. But at the same time, we're also gonna be a winsome witness for the Lord. We wanna be careful. We're not just loving babies, we're loving parents. And it's very easy at times to get um, so... uh, Sort of in the face of other people on this issue, that we forget that we're being a gospel witness in this time, and so uh, we're going to go before the Lord right now in prayer and just thank Him for for answering prayer in this way, and also asking Him to lead us into the future as we continue uh, to labor in His name for His glory, especially when it comes to these issues of uh, of babies' health. Um, in terms of uh, abortion and and the divisive issue that it is in our country. So let's pray right now. Father, we we come to you and and we thank you. We thank you for answering prayer. Uh, For for some in this room, well over 50 years of prayer. For others of us who have come into this issue more recently, uh, we, we long to be a people that reflect your heart, your wisdom, your truth, uh, your grace. And, and, and we ask, Lord, that even in this time, you would enable us as your people to reflect you in the midst of this. We thank you, Lord, for the Supreme Court ruling. We thank you that a, a, a terrible, destructive, and, and evil uh, law that was put in place over 50 years ago has been reversed. Um, and now we would ask that by your grace as your people, uh, as we rejoice in your answering prayer and as we rejoice in the lives that will be rescued as a result of this, uh, we also would pray that you would help us as your people to follow you. Uh, and as we labor in and amongst our own community here, uh, realizing that, uh, that certainly in California, things will, will remain um, as they've been. Uh, we still have the opportunity to, to be salt and light in this world. And so we pray, Lord, that we would continue to, to uh, care for those in our midst who face uh, trials and, and, and even deep difficulty in, in wrestling through uh, choices of life and death, really. We pray for moms and dads. We pray for babies. We pray that your grace would be at work. And we pray for us, that we would be a winsome and truthful witness amongst our family and friends and in our neighborhoods and, and, and in the job place and at school, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, may you be glorified. Uh, but thank you for answering prayer in this way. Thank you for bringing about this reversal. Uh, some of us never thought we'd live to see this. And so we look to you now to guide us into the future as we continue to honor you and, and, and demonstrate the grace and truth of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians, and I was just thinking about this week, you know, there was many, many years ago, sometimes there's someone who gives a talk at a given time, and it's, it's one of those things that kind of resonates with with people. It kind of becomes a kind of a historic kind of touch point uh, in the life of of, of of those who heard it. And beyond. And there was a one big youth conference many, many years ago that John Piper spoke at. And uh, the title of his talk was Don't Waste Your Life. And some of you might have remembered it. Maybe you heard it all those years ago. Uh, it was later developed into a book. And, and he, he started off by talking to these young people about how you can make a difference. You can actually live a life in such a way that you're going to have an effect on everyone in your life, those around you and, and beyond for the Lord. You can have that effect. And then he goes on to say that he realized that there were several in the crowd who didn't care about making a difference. And he talked about how some of you don't care if you're going to make a lasting difference. You just want people to like you. And then he went on to say, if people would just like you, you'd be satisfied. Or if you could have a good job and a good marriage and a couple of good kids and a nice car and long weekends and a few good friends, a fun retirement, a quick and easy death and no hell, you could, if you could have that, you'd be satisfied, even without God. And then he goes on to say, that is a tragedy in the making. And then he went on to describe how to not waste your life. You're the life you have in Christ, to live it to the, to the fullest. And I've been thinking along those lines about the, the topic that, that Paul is bringing up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and that is our freedom in Christ. We've received amazing freedom in Christ, and yet I'm wondering, are we really living out that Christian freedom, or are we wasting it? and perhaps we waste it and don't even realize what we're wasting uh, we don't even understand that because sometimes I think because the culture so easily influences us and kind of overtakes our thinking we, we think of our freedom in Christ our Christian freedom kind of like other freedoms like political freedom or financial freedom or professional freedom or personal freedom and we kind of look yeah it's my freedom I just in essence, in essence I do what I want to do that's freedom and, and for the believer, we need to understand that if we have those freedoms, if we enjoy those freedoms, if we've received those freedoms, they're to be pursued and lived out under the main banner of freedom that we have. And that's the freedom that we have in Christ. And, and what we've seen over the past several weeks is that this freedom in Christ is so radical, it's so different, it's so unique, that it actually unfolds in a powerful paradox. I'm so free in Christ... I can surrender my freedoms for Christ. I am so free in Christ, I can surrender my freedoms for Christ. And we've seen that over the past several weeks. Just because I have a right doesn't mean I have to exercise it. And and I'm not going to exercise that right unless it in some way furthers God's kingdom, unless it helps others know Christ more. That's what Paul's been describing. And so he returns to this significant theme of freedom and what that means and how that's to be lived out in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 and following. Go ahead and and turn there if you would, or open there, or whatever you do to get there. Eventually, you know what's going to happen. Someone's going to be sitting here looking at me and they're going to go, yeah, one second. And with their glasses, they're going to touch the frame. (laughs) Got it. Got it. I'm waiting for it. If you're the first, I'll point you out. Don't worry. So maybe bring it. Let's stand in honor of God's word. Go ahead and follow along as I read. First Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I become as a Jew that I might win Jews to those under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ so that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means I may save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way, not as without aim. I box in such a way, not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you'd help us this morning by your Spirit's work among us as your word is opened to really see the freedom we've been given in Jesus in a new way. We pray that that we would see that freedom That is such a beautiful paradox, a freedom that allows us to be so free that we can become the slave to all for the sake of winning as many as we can. Lord, may that please be the heartbeat and the action that we carry out as your people so that all that you bring into our lives would come to know you, whether they be our friends from work or our family members, our neighbors, whether it be someone that we just see, maybe at the store randomly or just encounter somewhere, Uh, maybe maybe as we're walking on the street, wherever it would be, may we constantly be looking for ways to be used by you to win more. That you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So again, the question that concerns us this morning, are we living out our Christian freedom or are we wasting it? That's the question we're asking. And what we find in this passage is this, to live out our Christian freedom, we must first aim to win. We need to aim to win. What does it mean by winning? We need to aim to win people to Christ. That's what our freedom is for. And again, kind of an amazing thought. It's a paradoxical freedom. We're free from all so that we can make ourselves slaves to all, that we might win as many as possible. Uh, This is the aim for the Christian. Notice what he says in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, by the way, he's picking up that phrase, you'll recall. Remember in verse 1 of chapter 9, if you were with us uh, several weeks back, am I not free? He begins the chapter with that. Now he comes back to that theme. Though I am free from all men, I have made myself slave to all. There's the word all, all, and you're going, wow. He's free from all, yet he puts himself under everyone else. He serves everyone else. He does not exercise his freedom in a way that's clamoring for his own rights. No, instead, he gives all that up for a very re- good reason, a very clear reason, a very precise reason. Look at the end of verse 19. So that I may win more. That's his exclusive aim. He's so focused on winning the loss to Jesus. So that in. Every day, in each situation, in each interaction with others, that's his goal. Here's the question. Is that your goal? Is that my goal? Is that what we're doing? Day in, day out. Every day, in each situation, do I have one pressing aim to win others to Jesus? Sometimes I think we, we, we kind of treat that as, well, yeah, kind of. Okay, if the word kind of is there, guess what? It's not the one soul pressing aim. I don't know about you, but for me, I, I find it so challenging because it's, it's kind of in the throes of everyday life where I am most easily just sort of caught off guard. Maybe I'm the only one like that here. So you can look at me. uh, Why did this guy become our pastor? Look, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. But God did that. Anyway, but it's true in the day-to-day moments of life. You know, you're you're there um, and, uh, you know, you're kind of trying to, um, I don't know, Maybe you went to the store, you thought something was on sale, you had the coupon, you're all ready to go. You get to the checkout counter, you put the coupon down, and what's it say? Expiration date was the day before. The day before. Worse yet, it's an all-night store. You got there at 12.01 a.m. I mean, literally, I was like, what? Just Expired. I have my rights. We have consumer rights. I got to call the local consumer rights advocate and raise up, you know, really? Guess what? At that time of night, you know what the checker wants to do? They want to go home. You're going to save 60 cents on, you know, I don't know what you're buying, you know. Air it extra dry. You know, great. 60 cents. You're going to like, blow up, go, you know, you're going to go raging mad on this situation with this person here because it's all about my rights. But you know what this person needs more than anything? The Lord Jesus. They need the Lord Jesus way more than you need your 60 cents. But in the midst of the moment, are we living that way? Do we see that? Are we aiming to win? And so, if we're looking at every day the way Paul is looking at every day here, we see each situation, each interaction with another person as an opportunity to win, to win them. Every area of daily life has this number one pressing aim How do I live at work? What am I like as a friend? as I pursue my hobbies, as I park at Home Depot. Why is that lot always so crazy? I try to go when no one's supposed to be there. I'm like, where are all you people from? Don't you have to go somewhere? I feel like the whole city just follows me there. They all park. As I interact with the plumber, as I get some time away, when, when we make decisions, big and small, do we have this one pressing aim in mind? Am I going to order at Pete's Coffee on the app, or will I walk into the store to talk to the barista? I got to think about that. I mean, the app's kind of nice, folks, isn't it? Boop, boop, boop. You show up, it's there, it's waiting for you. And better yet, you don't have to talk to a single soul. <laughs> But wait, if my aim is to win people, I'm gonna make a different decision, right? Because I wanna interact with them. I wanna talk with them. How can I win more? I mean, that's, that's a small decision. Maybe, maybe it's larger decisions too. You know, where are we gonna live? Is it the most comfortable place, the easiest place, the place with the most political alignment with my views on things? Is it the most affluence? Or, maybe the real question should be, where can I live to have the most impact for the gospel? Where can I live so that we can win more? In daily life opportunities, as they come every day, do, do, do I see those opportunities? And when I miss out on those opportunities, you know what, really, what it really means? I am wasting my Christian freedom. I'm not even using that freedom for what it's actually there for. You know, you think of this. Uh, the context in Corinth, as we've mentioned already, slavery uh, was, was probably about 50% of the population there would be slaves. And for, for most, they would either sell themselves into slavery because they wanted to have a, a viable ways of make, making a living. It was very different from uh, of what we experienced in the early year, you know, years of our country. It um, doesn't make it any more excusable. It's still wrong. The Bible, by the way, oftentimes it describes things as they happen in history without making the, the, the moral judgment from God on that thing because it expects us to know well enough to read it and see the outcome of it and go, yeah, that was a really dumb idea. Happens a lot in the scriptures. And if you want to look at what the Bible's perspective is on slavery, I would really encourage you to read Philemon. Because there we find not only does God oppose slavery, but he actually transforms the people involved in it in order to bring about a beautiful gospel outcome. But you try to think, well, okay, so with Paul's analogy here, what's the closest equivalent that we would have? And I'm thinking about it, and I'm going, you know what? What? What if we make the aim in our day and age in in 21st century America or East Bay Area what if we make it our aim to serve those who labor in customer service? Now I'm not saying that they are slaves although if you ask one of them on any given day they might feel like it. I don't know. It's not exactly the same. It's not a one for one certainly. But Seems to me like when Paul is describing this, he's saying, "I'm not in that category of person, but I want to put myself under everyone I possibly can in order to win them." Um, I had had a a recent uh, kind of encounter with this idea. Um, I I recently finished up some schooling. I graduated again. Thank you, Clayville Church family, for for making that possible for me to do that. Uh, But as we were getting closer to the graduation ceremony, this is a few months back, uh, you're supposed to wear for these things academic regalia. Essentially, it's a robe with a thing that goes around your neck called a hood. Okay, that's what it is. And because of the shortages that were happening across the nation, uh, some people weren't getting their robes and their hoods. And, um, and so I got a notice from the company, I think Herf Jones was the name of the company, we understand your ceremony time, and we know when it is and where it is, and we want you to know we're going to do everything possible, and it's going to be there. I read that immediately concluded this, there is no way it's going to be there. <laughs> it's just not. It's, it's, the second I got that email, I'm like, well, it's over. It's, it's not going to happen. I guess there's no way. Um, but nonetheless, I should probably do my best to try to make things flow, reach out to the right people. So, so the, the school gave us our contact, our kind of area rep for, um, for the company and encouraged us to, to reach out. So I reached out and gave her, you know, date of my ceremony, location, etc. And so then she responds in the email, and she goes, it's one of those, you know you see an email, and you're like, oh, that person's like under a lot of pressure. You can tell by the brevity. <laughs> Right? So I will quote. Her email is, I'm trying to track down all the orders. I'm praying there's another solution. Mo, Done. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you're having a good day. Okay. Okay. And then I'm thinking, you know, obviously people are upset about this. Right? Because... You know, she's the she's area rep, meaning other, you know, this is in the Chicago area, right? So other, other people from other colleges are freaking out on her, right? There's a Northwestern University, um, or, or, or Northwestern, I mean, or, or University of Chicago or, or others. And so and, and so, and for many of them, it's like, how dare you? Do you not know I've worked my whole life for this moment? And now you're ruining my commencement because you don't have my regalia here. I can't believe it. You know, and, and there's that kind of response. And I'm sure she's getting hit by this all the time. And then as I'm looking at this, I'm like, you know what? On her massive spreadsheet, when she's looking at all these schools and all these orders not being filled, next to my name, there is the title Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. <laughs> huh. I'm thinking the response here should be different. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it should be different. So I emailed her back. And I just said this Hi, Mo. Three things to remember. One, this is not your fault. Two, we're praying with you and for you. Three, God's got the solution well in hand, whether we see it or not. Best regards, Chris. I hit send. And then she responded. Great. You just made me cry. (laughs) It's been crazy. We've been letting down a lot of students, and it just makes me sick. I'll try tracking the hoods and keep you posted. Thank you for your kind words. It was a gospel moment, okay? And and, and by the way, for once, I saw it. I want you to realize this. I am growing in this. I'm giving you an example of when I did well. Trust me. There are like 8,000 more where I did not, okay? So please know that's not, this is Chris, and this is the overall pattern of my life. No, it's not. I'm growing, okay? I'm growing. But it's a gospel moment, and for once I saw it, and I'm growing to see them more and more, and I think we need to understand we have one exclusive aim in every part of our lives. It's to witness to our great and mighty King and Savior, Jesus We have one exclusive aim, to win more, and that is the way we live out fully our Christian freedom. So what's our aim in daily life? Focusing on winning more people to Jesus and and really asking questions like, what is going to leave this person wanting Jesus more? And as we interact with family, friends, neighbors, brothers and sisters in Christ, we need to have this in mind if we're really going to live out our freedom. So to live out our Christian freedom, we must aim to win. But Secondly, we also need to adjust to connect. We need to adjust to connect. We find that in verses 20 through 23. Look at all the different people groups Paul mentions. You know, the Jews I become as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. So those under law, it's under law. Though I'm not under the law, that I might win those under the law. Uh, He's talking about those who are coming from the Jewish background there. And he's saying, hey, when I'm with them, when I'm around them, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to adjust my path, my language, the way I talk with them, the way I interact with them, in order to reach them. I'm going to be among them. You know, at that time as a Jewish person, there's a cleansing ceremony. There's nothing, Paul's like, look, I know Jesus is the one that cleanses my life, but sure, I'll go to the cleansing ceremony. Why not? I'll do that with you. I'll watch it. I'll, I'll observe some of the rites. I'll do that. Why? Because I want to be with you so that I can share the gospel with you. He's not separating himself out. He's not trying to distinguish himself on on matters that, again, would be matters of conscience or that are not the main thing. Now, he's not saying, I'm going to go back to Uh, the Old Testament prescriptions of what it means to be made right with God. He's not saying that. So he's not compromising on a moral level or on a theological level. He's just saying these things that aren't issues, I'm going to disregard them and just be with you. I'll I'll do whatever I need to do to interact with you on a day-to-day basis. Um, And that's really important to see that. So the flexibility he's talking about, it's, 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 It's being flexible or accommodating as the messenger. It's not being flexible or accommodating on the message. That's the difference. The message is the gospel. That doesn't change. But he's taking the time to think through, how can I best connect with these people? And how can I adjust in order to do that? Because then he goes, notice in verse 21, to the opposite, to those without law. Who's that? Those are the Gentiles as though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So here it is. He's really clear about that, right? He's saying, hey, when I'm with those who are without the law, to the Gentiles, which, by the way, was a massive part of his ministry, right? He was the apostle to the Gentiles. He says, I'm going to go there as without law. And then he goes, note, though, I'm not someone without the law because I am under the law of Christ. So I follow him. I obey my king. But again, on matters of just, that don't, that are not of importance, I'm happy to accommodate. Uh, One area, for example, was the idea of circumcision, right? There were some Jewish believers who were saying, well, if a Gentile wants to come to Jesus, they need to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, not going to do it. They don't have to. Book of Galatians has a lot to say about that. the food sacrifice to idols that he mentioned a couple of chapters earlier. He talked about how I want to make sure I'm operating there in a way where I'm not causing a brother or a sister to stumble. Why? Well, the idol doesn't exist, but they might be from a background in which they might think and be associating with that former life of theirs, this activity of eating there. So for them, I won't do it. So again, he's accommodating. There's flexibility. And, and that's important. Um, and again, we can think of different examples of, of ways in which we need to be able to adjust in order to connect with people. Um, because I think sometimes we don't actually understand how inflexible we really are about secondary issues. You know, maybe, maybe you can think of, again, you at your, at your workplace. So when you're there, are you, are, you, are you known as the person who is is caring for people more than maybe your preferences at work? Or are you more known as the person who's like, oh, yeah, don't crisscross that person. It's, it's over. Did you touch the thermostat? I didn't touch it. Did you? By the way, at the office here, I don't know why. Like, I'm the only one that touches the thermostat. So I just want people who work in the office here, you can touch the thermostat. It's okay. I am not. I don't know why that is. It's almost like if I come in, it's the sacred number. It's not. All right. Sorry. Totally sidetracked. <laughs> Off-roading. Don't know why. Okay. But... Um, are we living in such a way where we're adapting to be able to relate to and connect to other people? Uh, I think there are, something came to my mind this week, actually, that I hadn't thought about in a long time. So as, if you know my background, you know, I did not really grow up um, in, in, in the church. Um, and so there were a lot of things to me culturally that were weird, and I was thinking back to that, like, yeah, what was with that? So things, terms would be thrown around, and you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know. So for example, here, here's one for you fellowship hall now for us we're like oh yeah fellowship hall eh, people get to no you don't understand when you're coming from like fellowship hall I'm not going in there <laughs> like what's this fellowship thing it's like Lord of the Rings we're back to Lord of the Rings again see what is that you know, what's it? and it's a hall like you got to go in there and like you're on a quest You're together. I mean I don't know what's going to go on in the fellowship hall I don't know if I want to know you know, but, but so there are a lot of things like that. We have a lot of little wording things, trappings that we're not even aware of. So the question is when we're with others, are we adapting, adjusting in order to connect? Again, not the message, but the way in which we conduct ourselves. Or instead, are we insistent upon everything in primary issues and in secondary issues and in third level issues it has to be my way or it's wrong. You know, we've got to understand what matters of conscience are, what matters of biblical principle are, and what matters of first-tier importance are, and then live with others in that way. And uh, I remember there was a friend of mine who was doing a, a Bible study with some construction workers. He, he, he just got to know them. He was really excited, and, and they wanted to hear more about the Bible. And so this was many years ago, and so they came by, they came by his house, and uh, there was like five of them. And, and first guy got there and I'll talk. second, third guy comes in with two six-packs of beer. Hey, where are we getting together, guys? Uh, you know, walks in, lays it on the table. And, uh, and, and my friend was like, oh, OK, great. You know, let's talk. Go ahead. You know, who cares? Um, why? Well, are they here to, here to hear the Bible? Yes. Great. Uh, the other stuff, it's not the issue. So we need to be able to adjust, to connect. And as we do that, then we're really living out our Christian freedom. Because now the desire to win, to win another to Christ is, is the aim and the focal point. And so because of that, we can adjust the way we approach, the way we conduct ourselves in order to connect with people. But to live out our Christian freedom fully, we must not only aim to win and adjust to connect. Lastly, we also need to exert to finish. We find that in verses 24 to 27. Um, You'll notice in verse 23, as he leads in the section, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, right? I become all things to all men that I may be all means, save some, verse 22. So that's, that's Paul's, Paul's focal point of just, I'm going to do what I need to do to connect with people that they would come to know Christ. But notice how he ends verse 23, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. What's he talking about there? What does he mean? If he doesn't live this way, he's not partaking in the gospel? Like, how does that work? What is that? Uh, it. And, and what happens is verse 24 and following, he describes the answer to that question. To partake with something is to join together with something. saying, if I'm going to do that in the gospel, I have got to run the race. And then verse 24, he brings them into an illustration that they all would have totally understood. I'm talking about a runner running a race. Uh, you see, at that time in the ancient world, there were two series of games that were renowned. The first were the Olympic Games held at Olympus, (laughs) right? Olympic, yeah, that's where it was held. And uh, you can actually see what the running track looks like there at Olympus. Um, And it's a place where they would train and train and train and run and run and run. The second most prominent and respected games of that time were the Isthmian Games, held on the isthmus right there in Corinth. That's why they were called that. And so for them, they're all going, oh yeah, a runner. I get that. Why? Because they've watched them train before. They know what runners who compete in the games go through. It's strict. It's rigid. They had to swear an oath confirming that they had totally abstained from wine, meat, uh, from any form of sexual activity for the previous 10 months, and then the runners had to focus on winning the prize, and so they would train and train, they would deny themselves, they would labor, they would be completely dedicated to that goal. And, and notice what Paul says: "Run to receive the prize. Run that you may win." Now what's he talking about by winning? I think he's referring back to that he may win more. He's doing a word play saying, I want to win the race, but I want to win others to Christ. So I live every day with that focus in mind. And I exert myself. And then he draws a comparison in verse 25. He says, those who compete in the games, they exercise self-control in all things. They do it for a perishable wreath. What's he talking about there? Well, I, I did a little research this week, and guess what? That, that wreath they would get, sometimes they were made of little, little pine twigs and stuff. Other times they were made of celery. I'm not one that really likes celery anyway. Yeah, it depends. But you can just imagine those large celery, they would be bent and twisted and made, and you'd have a wreath. Of course, you also realize how long it probably lasts. It's going to dry out. It's not going to last long. And then he draws a contrast. They run that hard for this thing that's just going to dry up and fall apart. And he goes, but we run to receive a crown that is not perishable. Look at the end of verse 25. It is imperishable. What's he talking about? Well, he's going to get into it a little later in, in, in chapter 15 as the resurrection is described there's the crown of life that all who are in Christ are given and that never perishes. That never fades away. It never dries up. It's permanent. It's glorious. And so then he says, as a result, verse 26, therefore, because of all that, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. So that was the other big event. Running was a big event in those games. Boxing was as well. In ancient times, uh, boxers would actually wear leather gloves. Unlike boxing in our country, the gloves were not designed to, to protect those who were being hit. Instead, actually, they would put glass on the gloves. Other sharp objects, they would try to inflict as much damage as possible. And that was just normal sporting events for them. But Paul is saying, those who are practicing the boxing... He's like, I'm not just going to practice by beating the air. What's that going to do? No, your training regimen has to be specific, focused, based on building skills. And so he says, I discipline my body. I make it my slave. Now he takes the analogy and he applies it to himself. I'm not going to let my body dictate the way I live. Why? Well, if if you flip back to chapter 6, maybe you'll recall this. Chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, that you are not your own? Again, many of these Corinthian believers were still living as if they were still in the culture and they were engaging in sexual morality. They were engaging most likely with temple prostitutes there in Corinth. And he's rebuking them for that, saying, don't you know this? You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So certainly he's referring back to that. And he's saying, I'm going to discipline my body. I'm going to make him my slave. Why? So that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Does he, is Paul saying there he's going to lose his salvation uh, if he uh, doesn't discipline his body there? No, that's not what the term disqualified is referring to. Um, That phrase actually goes back again to another earlier portion of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in chapter 3. You'll recall in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, he says, if any man's work which he's built upon remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet those through fire. He's talking about his labor as his work as an apostle, and there's a judgment time coming for that, and he he wants to be approved in that time when he stands before God. And for all of us, that needs to be the goal as well, isn't it? We stand before God, And there will come that time for believers. Now, for the believer, it is not standing before God's throne for a judgment unto punishment because Christ has taken that. There is no fear of that. No, it's a judgment under rewards. And so Paul is saying, I want to stand there and to be approved by God. I want to enjoy the crown that comes from running to win. And so in light of that, run to win. Exert yourself. Now, here's the question are, are we doing that? Is that how you're approaching the Christian life right now? Now, I got to admit, for our church, we've come out of a crazy season. And thankfully, we're moving ahead, we're moving forward. And for some of us, it's, there's been just this excitement about reengaging like, yes, Lord, praise God, let's go. And then for others of us, it's been harder. There have been different things that we've come through. And it's more challenging. The question I think we all need to ask is, am I running right now to win? Or instead, have I just kind of eased back and become a spectator? You'll notice the passage doesn't say, sit in the crowd as a spectator with the most comfort possible. That's not what it says. You're not a spectator. You're you're there. You're in the arena. You are lined up to race. Run with all you've got. Uh, The Boston Marathon is probably one of the most prominent, um, you know, marathons we have in our country. The winner is automatically placed among the, the great athletes of our time. And a few years ago, a person named Rosie Ruiz was the first woman to cross the finish line first. And she had the laurel wreath placed on her head and a blaze of lights and cheering. And she was completely unknown to the world of running. It was an incredible feat. It was her first race, and it was a victory at the prestigious Boston Marathon. And then someone noticed that she didn't quite look like she was in, like, crazy good shape. Like, they weren't trying to be mean, you know, but it was like, it doesn't seem like she's had the training that you would need. To complete that race. And then some questions were asked. And then, then all of a sudden, someone realized wait a minute, no one has seen her along the 26.2 mile course at all. Then the truth came out. She had jumped into the race in the last mile. And so people are going, What on earth was that? The realization as you should learn is that that kind of athletic performance cannot be faked. And the sad thing is, she never admitted her fraud. She repeatedly said that she would run another marathon to show that she could do it, but somehow she never really did. That's strange. She was trying to complete a race that she wasn't qualified for. She couldn't couldn't do it. But even more strange would be this, a person who's been given all that they need to run the race well, yet they still refuse to do it. Do you realize that in Jesus, if you're a believer, you've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit? That He's given you gifts, and that gift, those gifts have been given to you to serve Him and to serve others. If you're just living in spectator mode right now, you are not running to win. You're wasting your freedom. But because you're free, you could aim to win others by becoming their servant. You can adjust to connect with people in your daily life who don't know Christ, and you can exert to the finish line. Don't let up. Now, there are some among us who are senior saints, and, and I tell you right now, our senior saints, for the most part, they just, they just blow me away. I want to become like you when I grow up. I really do. And I feel like I'm getting there faster and faster than ever before. Okay, I want you to know that too. But... But for some, there might be a tendency to say, you know what? I've served. I've put in my time. It's time for another person to step up and will give them the opportunity. I'm, I'm done. I've done my service. And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you, please don't fall for that lie. That's not what this says. Paul is saying, I run With endurance, I run in such a way to win. And the picture there is the tape is across the finish line. And rather than letting up toward the end and going, yeah, I'm just not feeling it today, there is a strenuous, eager, focused desire to stretch forward, to break the tape. That's how we end. And so, brother, sister, if you are in that place of being a senior saying, I want to encourage you, don't let up now. For the young people among us, this is a beautiful way to understand you don't have to waste the freedom you have in Christ with all the distractions and all the other stuff. How do we want to end? You can start now. You can say, I want to be that guy. I want to be that girl. I want to be the one that runs hard. And by the way, it's not just running hard for running hard's sake. It's not just running hard because you're supposed to. There's a motivation. What's the motivation? First of all, it's the return of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. I don't want to be disqualified, meaning I'm going to stand before him someday. He's coming back soon. I want to live with eagerness now because of who he is. And then secondly, what's the other motivation? Understanding our union with Christ. I took you back to chapter six before about the body belonging to the Lord. But you realize what he says before that. He says this if you're joined to a prostitute, there's a sense in which you become one with her. He says, But in contrast, he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Union with Christ. He says, Because of that, because of your intimate union with Jesus, now flee from sexual morality. Paul didn't just say, hey, flee from sexual immorality because it's wrong. I mean it is wrong and it is destructive but he says flee from that because you are one with jesus so we run hard because jesus is coming back soon we run hard because we're united with christ and we run hard because we don't want to waste our freedom So, brothers and sisters, let's live out our Christian freedom to the fullest. Let's aim to win. Let's adjust to connect. And let's exert to finish. That he'd be glorified. That others would come to know him. And if you're here today and you've never come to that place of trusting in Jesus, you can know this freedom today. You can know this freedom today. Trust him. Rest in him believe. And we'd love to talk to you more about that. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would, again, just take these things and apply them to our hearts. Help us to live out our freedom in you in a way that aims to win. Each and every day, help us to see those opportunities around us whereby we can reflect you, call people to you, share the gospel. Even now Lord, may we consider those we could be praying for, our neighbors, our coworkers. Bring them to our minds. We look to you to guide us as we run and exert ourselves by your grace because of our union with you to finish well. We ask this in Jesus name. Amen.